This table is anathema. Um, no one is allowed to sit there, ever. No, you can sit up here. Um, I, I do spit, but most of it hits <laughs> the iPad or my iPhone, and I have screen wipes for that for afterwards. But um, you won't get sprayed. You can come sit up here. It's okay. Um, or we can just leave that table for the Holy Spirit. That's fine, too. Um, but we're not going to invite the Holy Spirit to come be a part of us because it's not our job to welcome him. He just is, right? He's God. We're not. Uh, we don't give him permission to show up in our lives. He, that's a different sermon. Anyways, um, what, one thing that really bugs me, aside from songs that abuse uh, theological doctrines, um, is when we take nouns and make them verbs, it, it really makes my skin crawl. Like when people talk about adulting, one of the key ways that you can adult is by stop using nouns as verbs and use them as they were intended. One way you can grow up is to stop sounding dumb when you talk with people. And some of you probably have a shirt that says, I just can't adult today. And that's like my least favorite shirt on the face of the planet for so many reasons. However, for the next two weeks, I'm going to break my rule because I think it's important that you and I, as we approach the end of this year and think about the next year, and I know we're kind of jumping over Christmas when I talk about ending a year and beginning a new year, but you'll get enough Christmas in other areas this season, I trust. I want you to think about what it means to be a part of the church, or if we want to uh, borrow from the degradation of our society and culture, how to church. <clears throat> what does it mean to be a part of Christ's church? What does that look like? And how should my life look if I tell you, yeah, I belong to the bride of Christ. I am a part of the church. What does that look like? And how should my life change from maybe what it was before then? That's what the next two weeks are really going to dig down and, and focus in on as we take a little bit of a break from our study of the book of Hebrews and we look at the concept of Christ's church and what it looks like and what it means for us to be a part of that church. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is approached by some religious leaders and they're looking to trap him in saying something that would, would cause conflict, that would create division among the people. And so initially the Sadducees come up and they ask him about the resurrection from the dead. And Jesus answers their question and they walk away and they go, okay, well, we lost. It's your turn now. So the Pharisees go up to Jesus and they send an expert of the law forward to meet Jesus. And this expert of the law goes forward to meet Jesus and says to him, uh, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this was a trap question from this man. He thought that Jesus was going to pick one of the Ten Commandments, one of the Decalogue, one of the Mosaic laws, and, and grab that one and say, well, this one's the greatest of all commandments in the law. And in doing that, Jesus would immediately divide his followers, and not just into two camps, but probably multiple camps. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's the greatest law. I think this is the greatest law. I don't think it's don't kill. I think it's don't covet. I don't think it's don't commit adultery. I think it's you should keep the Sabbath. And so the, the expert in the law is looking to trap Jesus into saying something that's going to cause his followers to go, I don't know if this guy really knows what he's talking about. But obviously Jesus being God answers in a way that only he could perfectly when he said this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. And he responded, he said to him, the man who asked the question, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all 
your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest of all the commandments. And really, this embodies what we're here to talk about this week and next week. To be a part of the church, what that looks like is a full-blown, total and complete selling out and allegiance to Jesus Christ with everything that you are. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Everything given to Christ. So if you say, well, I want to be a part of the church. I want a church well. What does that look like? How do I do that? It begins by saying, I want to be all in with Christ. I want to love him with everything that I have. I want to hold nothing back. I want to love him, not just most, notice, but exclusively. Jesus doesn't say the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with the best of your heart and your soul and your mind. He doesn't say you shall love the Lord your God with most of your heart and your soul and your mind. But Jesus says you want to know what God wants from you. He wants everything from you. You shall love the Lord your God with all all of it, in total, the, the, the entirety of who you are, your heart, your soul, your mind, all of it for the Lord. And so it's not me sitting back going, well, I love God and my family. No, that's wrong thinking. It's I love God and my love for God overflows into how I love my family. As I love my family, it's an expression of my love for God. It's not sitting back and going, well, I love God and Taylor Swift, something I would never say, ever, ever, ever. But it would be for you to determine whether or not you could say, I love God, and that overflows into a love for Taylor Swift. I love Taylor Swift as an expression of my love for God. If you can answer that in the affirmative, congratulations. It's everything. God doesn't just want your best. He wants everything from you. He just doesn't want a portion of you. He wants the total person. You say, well, man, that's a high standard. It is a high standard. How do we do that? What does that look like? Day in and day out, functionally, how do I love the Lord and my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my might? Well, that's some of what we're here to talk about tonight. See, we don't get to define what that looks like because God has defined that for us. We're going to look at Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 to unpack a little bit of that for us tonight. What does it look like? What does it mean? How do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul rather, and with all my mind? What should that look like? Take your Bibles, open them up to Romans, and let's read together or follow along rather as I read Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In Romans 1 through 11, Paul has laid out basically his own systematic theology. He's walked through the doctrines that are key to our understanding of God, our understanding of ourselves, and our understanding of the gospel and why that matters. Romans 1, he's indicted everybody, right? That creation bears testimony, gives witness to the invisible attributes of God, and that everybody is condemned no matter what because they are suppressing the truth about God, which he has made plain to them, right? 
Romans 2, he said, look, you, you who want to be justified by the law, Romans 2, 3, 4, he's saying, look, you, you can try to be justified by the law, but we know that no one can be justified by the law. Even Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as, as righteousness. We start to get into this concept of the doctrine of justification by faith. And then he extrapolates on that in Romans chapter 5. He goes, you know why? Because here's how you were when, when God died for you, how, how we were. He says, we were weak, ungodly, sinful enemies of God when, when Christ died for us. That's the beginning of Romans 5. Why? Well, he gets into the doctrine of total depravity after that. And he says, because the problem is, is we've got Adam as our representative. Well, Adam sinned and, and death came after that. And then death spread to all men, he says in, in chapter 5 there. And so the problem with that is that, that, that we're offspring of Adam, that we are part of his, his line. And so we are now guilty with the original guilt of Adam, that we are sinners, that we are, are born alienated from the Lord. So we need a, a, a better Adam. And Paul says, well, we have a better Adam. And he says, uh, the, the free gift was not like the trespass, because though the trespass resulted in guilt and condemnation for all men, the free gift is abounded for life and justification for many. He's introducing Jesus there. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then in Romans chapter 6, he's talking about our identity in Christ. And that now that we are united with him in a death like his, hey, you know what? We're going to be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we need to get busy right now living as new creations, walking in newness of life. And he goes on, he says, so let's not go on presenting our members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but let's present ourselves to the Lord to be used by him for righteousness sake. Because that's all about sanctification. Then he gets into chapter 7 in our relationship to the law, and he says, look, the law, don't blame the law. He says the law was there to condemn us under the weight of the reality that we don't measure up, but thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, I am delivered from this body of death, right? And you get into Romans 8, therefore, there's there now what? No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The, the beautiful announcement that we are free from condemnation if we are united and in, in, in joined to Christ in Romans 8 there. And then he goes on to talk about all of creation groaning under the weight of sin, longing to be released, right? And he talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit groans within us when we don't know how to pray as we ought to. He's saying, look, the, the Spirit intercedes for us with longings too deep for words. And then he gets into the end of Romans 8, which is so amazing when he says, God is, is working all things together for our good, that being that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And then he gets into 8.30 and onward when he's talking about the amazing doctrine of our eternal security in Christ. That those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. It's done. It's as good as done. It's past tense, even though we're not yet glorified. And then he goes on and he talks about, you know what? I'm convinced of something. You know what I'm convinced of? He says, I'm convinced that nothing on earth can separate you from the love of Christ. And then he gets into Romans 9, 10, and 11, where he says, hey, we've still got this issue. And that is the issue of the, the people of Israel. He says, my, my kinsmen. He says, my heart grieves. It breaks for where they're at. And he even says, I would give my salvation if it meant the, the salvation of all of my countrymen, all of Israel. And he talks about how they have been set aside for a moment while the church has come on the scene, but the church is grafted in. The church is, is not the original source that that's still Israel. There's still a future for Israel coming. And he deals with that in 9, 10, and 11. That's Paul's systematic theology. And then he gets to chapter 12, verse 1. He says, look, in light of all of this, in light of all that we've just covered, in light of chapters 1 through 11, he says, I appeal 
to you, therefore, brothers, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. The word appeal there, it's the idea of exhorting, of Paul looking at them going, let's go. Let's do this. We need to, this is right. This is fitting. This is good. We should, we ought to do this. We should do what? We should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Fresh on the minds of his audience, although more distant from our minds, but certainly something that we are acquainted with if you spend any time around the church and read the Old Testament. When they hear living sacrifice, they're going back to the temple sacrificial system. If you've been with us in Hebrews, we talked about that a little bit. And they're going back to the blood of bulls and goats. And they're going back to the idea of the high priest. And they're going back to the concept of, of the day of atonement and the, the, the propitiation and the, the scapegoat being sent out. And they're going back to all of that. And yet Paul has this twist in Romans chapter 12 where he says, it's no longer that we are presenting the animal, but now we are presenting ourselves to the Lord. You see, Christ came and fulfilled the Old Testament sacrificial system. And we're going to get there in Hebrews in the spring, that he is the sacrifice par excellence, that he is the, the ultimate fulfillment of that, and that he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, that there are no more sacrifices still needed here. And yet Paul says there's one more that we have to offer, though, and that is all of us, who we are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In Romans chapter 6, verse 13, I alluded to it earlier, but here's what it is. It says this. It says, do not, Paul says, do not present your members, your, your bodies, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves, your whole self, to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members, your bodies, to God as instruments for righteousness. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 12, when he says, Present yourself as a, a living sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, in light of this reality, in light of who we are, in light of everything that Jesus has done for us. Our response, what is it? Be all in with Jesus. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Offer yourself wholly and completely to the Lord. You see, all as we're talking about what it looks like to, to be a part of Christ's church. To be a part of Christ's church is not to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. To be a part of Christ's church is not to say, well, I, I'm going to give this Christianity thing a try to see if it works out for me and if my life gets better by following Jesus. To be a part of Christ's church is not to say, well, I want Christianity so long as it doesn't step on my toes, but as soon as it makes me have to start giving up too much, then I'm out. See, that's not what it looks like to be a part of Christ's church. To be a part of Christ's church is to be all in with Christ. Our first point tonight is this, offer everything to Christ's lordship. Offer everything to Christ's lordship. Again, back in, back in Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked the question, what's the great commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. All of our deepest realms of identity and desire need to be submitted to Christ's lordship. Note the adjectives back in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that Paul uses to describe this offering of ourselves. He says it's a, a living sacrifice. It's persistent. It's ongoing. It's a, a, a daily 
Not a one and done sacrifice, but an ongoing, consistent, persistent, daily offering of ourselves holy to the Lord. He says it's a living sacrifice. He also says it's a, a holy sacrifice. It's set apart as acceptable to God. It's sanctified. For God's use only. And then he says it's, it's acceptable to the Lord. That if we offer ourselves fully before the Lord and, and we do this with persistence and consistency and we do it in a sense that we are bringing ourselves to consecrate ourselves, to sanctify ourselves, to set ourselves apart as not for use for us, but as to be used by God and, and for God's good and for God's glory, that that is the way that we are then considered acceptable in our offering before the Lord. So when we talk about lordship, it's not a, a one and done transaction. It's not a, a singular moment in time where you acknowledge and say, okay, Jesus is Lord, and then just go about your life like you were always going about your life. No, but the Lordship of Christ should follow you every single day. And here's the, the reality. Y'all, I heard one author put it this way about this passage, and that is that it's a living sacrifice. And what's a living sacrifice tempted to do? A living sacrifice is tempted to, to crawl off the altar. And so every single day, you got to put yourself back up on the altar, offering yourself daily to the Lord because your flesh is going to battle against that. That's why Paul says in Galatians, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're not walking by the Spirit, if you are not availing yourself of the Word of God, the people of God, the church of God, then you are going to be owned and dominated by your flesh. It's going to happen. And so for us as Christians, if we want Jesus to be everything, if we want him to be our Lord, which is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right, is to have that desire, then that means daily we have to make sure that we are offering ourselves completely to be used by him. See, that's the thing. God wants all of you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What did God tell Israel? The Lord your God is a, what kind of a God? A jealous God. Some of y'all have been in relationships and you know what jealousy looks like. Well, jealousy usually is not a good thing, but when it comes to God, it's a good thing because it's the right thing. Because only God is worthy of our full devotion. But to get there means that you have to believe that that's true. And you have to believe that that's what's best for you. That this is what is a good thing to surrender everything to Christ. Because if you're going to give everything to Christ, if you're going to surrender everything to his lordship, man, that means that you are giving up control and the perceived sovereignty over your own life. And no longer saying, well, I'm going to do what's best for me. But embracing a mindset that says, no, I'm going to do what's best for Christ. C.S. Lewis You've probably heard this quote before. If you've been around me for very long, you have. But Lewis wrote this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Y'all, that's just it. When you want to take the reins back from the Lord, so to speak, and say, well, I, I, I'm not willing to give this up. 
y'all, you are embodying what Lewis is talking about here. You are far too easily pleased. If you think going all in with Jesus is going to cost you too much because of giving up a relationship or giving up friendships or giving up a, a job or a career path that you're pursuing or entertainment that you enjoy, if you think that that's giving up too much, then y'all, you are, are far too easily pleased. If you find yourself disagreeing with the plain reading of Scripture, going, well, there's got to be loopholes. There's got to be a different interpretation. There's got to be a different translation that's out there that softens this a bit to enable you to keep doing the sinful things that you want to keep doing or keep approving of the sinful things that you want to keep approving of. Y'all, you are, are far too easily pleased. If you're presenting yourselves to the altars of sex or friendships, or politics, or career, or identity, you're far too easily pleased. Look, I'm not, I'm not going to blow smoke with you guys. To be an all-in follower of Jesus in this world is going to be hard. And you are going to miss out on a lot you're going to miss out on a lot that the world's going to celebrate and the world's going to say, this is a good thing. This is fun. This is satisfying. This is joyful. This is, this is what it's worth giving everything to have this. And as a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to look at that and say, no. But you know what David said in Psalm 16 about the Lord? In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, are pleasures forevermore. There's nothing in this world that can lay claim to that. Nothing in this world that can lay claim to that. And if you will say no to this world, to say yes to that, y'all, you will realize the payoff for all of eternity. And you will look back and like Paul said, this light momentary affliction, right, is preparing for me an eternal weight of glory. The battle begins up here, though, with believing that that's true. That submitting yourself completely to the Lordship of Christ is more desirable, more preferable than following the whims and the wills of our culture and our world. And the reason that's so hard is because it's going to involve delayed gratification. And that is not something that our world caters to. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The foundation of Paul's appeal here is everything that he's just talked about. The mercy and grace of God. I appeal to you, based on that, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then he goes on, he says this, which is your spiritual worship. What he means there is more than the fact that this isn't like the blood of bulls and goats in a physical temple. The word spiritual there actually comes from a Greek word where we get the word logical. He says, this is the right and fitting and proper thing for us to do is basically what he's arguing there. That this is the, the only right response to everything that he's just talked about is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Again, what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul.
Y'all, there is no room for divided affections in the church of Christ. If you want to say, well, I want to be part of the church, but I also want to hold on to these things over here that the Bible speaks against, that Jesus died for, that the world celebrates, then you've made your choice and it's not Christ. Be all in. Offer everything to Christ's lordship. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. When we get into the soul, we begin to get into the desires and will, right? The battleground for our affections takes place within the soul, the inner person there. And when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul, that begins to transform those things. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. We'll stop right there for just a second. Do not be conformed to this world. To be conformed is to be, to be squeezed into a mold or a pattern. Don't let the world shape you into what it wants to shape you into. Y'all, to, to offer everything to Christ's lordship means we have to stop offering ourselves to the things we used to offer ourselves to. We have to identify those things, understand those things, and put them off and put them away from us. Paul describes some of those things in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is all of us prior to Christ in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us once lived in the passions of our flesh, those passions of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust, lust of the, the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, right? Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Whatever my body wanted, my, my mind concocted, I went after that. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Look, the world still wants to squeeze you back into that identity, even though that's not who you are anymore in Christ. Or Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Paul writes this. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, from the Greek pharmakeia, which is where we get the word pharmaceuticals here. He's talking about drugs, hallucinogenics there, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Y'all, as we look at lists like that as Christians, we need to say, I'm not going to be conformed to those things. Yeah, maybe at one point in time in my life prior to Christ, I offered myself up to those things, but no longer. I'm going to offer myself entirely now to Christ and not to these things. Or how about 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 4? Peter says, For the time has passed that suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join in them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Again, these are the things of the world that the world wants to squeeze you into these things. One author put it this way, the world is the sin-dominated, death-producing realm in which all people naturally belong. 
The world is the sin-dominated, death-producing realm in which all people naturally belong. So to offer everything to Christ's lordship means that we have to have a break with that world. That we have to, to separate ourselves from that world. And to no longer offer ourselves to those things anymore, but now to offer ourselves exclusively to Christ. To do that means, point number two, we have to divorce ourselves from worldly living. Divorce yourself from worldly living. Again, what does it look like to be a part of the church of Christ, to be a part of Christ's bride? Well, it means I'm all in with Jesus. My, all my soul, heart, all my soul, all my mind. There's no division in me anymore. Well, if that's true, then second, it means that I've got to divorce myself from, from worldly living. To separate myself from that. The, the word church in the English comes from a Scottish word, but it, it traces itself eventually back to the Greek word ekklesia, which means this. It means to be called out. It's the called out ones, the assembled ones. It was a, originally in, in secular Greek, it was, a, it was used of, of council meetings, that these were unique ones that were called to gather together, called out from where they were to come and gather together for a purpose. Well, church, you are the called out ones. Called out from what? You're called out from the world. That's what it is to be a part of the church. It's to be separated. It's to be called out from this uh, system of the world that is opposed to and antagonistic to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so if we are to be a part of Christ's church, we need to be divorcing ourselves from the worldly desires. And we need to align ourselves with the values of the church, which are the values of the Bible, which are in turn the values of God. So that means when we think about the list, and we read about some of them already from the pages of Scripture just a moment ago, but when we think about these lists of sex and drugs and alcohol and gossip and slander and homosexuality, y'all, these are all things that we need to divorce ourselves from because they, are, uh, they stand up opposed to the values of the Lord as revealed in Scripture that they're not things to be flirted with, entertained by. They're not things for us to soft pedal and say, well, we need to catch up with the times. They're all elements of a world that we must rid ourselves of. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says this, do not love the world nor the things in the world. He's not talking about people here. As believers, we are called to love the lost, but we are not called to love the world's system. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love both. Notice the emphasis here that we must be sold out for the love of Christ. You can't be divided in your affections. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Romans 1.32, Paul says this. He says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but notice this phrase, y'all, give approval to those who practice them. There are things in this world, and let me just be plain. There's plenty of things on video already that if the world outlaws speaking out against, I will go to jail. I'm already, it's already over. So let me just be blunt and plain with you. Homosexuality, a Christian cannot support homosexuality. Transgenderism, 
a Christian cannot support transgenderism. That is bold-faced, outlandish rebellion against the creator God. The Bible is not silent on those issues. It is abundantly clear. So you may say, well, I don't do those things, but if you think they're no big deal, then you are in Romans 1.32 right here with the Apostle Paul saying, you give approval to those who do them. I'm not saying you have to be a jerk. We're not called to be jerks. But we need to make sure that we walk a fine line between loving someone and giving approval to what they're doing. You have to be called out from the world. There needs to be a recognizable difference there. Ephesians 5, 3. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Notice that. It must not even be named among you. What we talk about, y'all, needs to be different from this world, needs to be separated, called out from this world. And then again, I read it earlier, 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4. Peter says, look, the, the time for doing these things, it's, it's already passed. It's already sufficed. It's time to stop. It's time to grow up. It's time to divorce yourselves from these things to follow Jesus with everything. That's what it looks like to be a part of Christ's church. Do not be conformed to this world. Come out from this world and its values. Divorce yourself from worldly living. In 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, he puts it this way. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, of God, who called you out of darkness. Called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Look, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among those who do not know Christ, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Church, does that describe you? Are you living a life called out from darkness into his marvelous light? Are you proclaiming the excellencies of the God who's done that for you? Are you living as an alien and a stranger in this world or are you at home in this world? Do you feel a dissonance with the world's values and systems around you? Or are you living in harmony with them? Ephesians 5, 3 through 12, Paul says, but sexual immorality and all impurity, covetousness must not even be named among you, as I read earlier. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. 
For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Paul's talking about that contrast, that change that takes place in us when we are saved. You are being called out of darkness and into the light. Divorce yourself from worldly living. One more passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were, such were, past tense, some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Again, notice the difference between who you were and who you are now in Christ. And all I'm saying is if you want to be part of the church, are you living like that difference is real? Can someone see that difference? Can you see that difference in your life? Y'all, if some of these concepts bother you, can I just point out to you that all I've been doing is reading the word of God? If you're angry because I've spoken out against some of these issues, can I just ask you to go back and read the passages again that I just read to you and have you understand that you're not angry with me, you're angry with God. See, when you come to faith in Jesus, there's going to be naturally a break with the world. That's why Paul says that we are new creations in Christ. That's why Jesus, when Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3 and Jesus was talking with him, and he said, hey, what, what, who are you? What are you doing? Jesus says this, you want to see the kingdom of God? You must be what? You must be born again. You must be made new. The old has to go. The new has to come. Yo, when you are placed into Jesus Christ, when you are baptized into Christ, when you are made part of his church, your allegiance changes. You no longer live for yourself and for your pleasures, but for Christ and his pleasures. You don't make decisions any longer, y'all, based on what's going to make you happy, but what's going to glorify Jesus. You look at the world and all of its offerings, and you're willing to defer pleasure that the world would offer you now, knowing that there's going to be pleasures forevermore waiting for you in eternity. You're willing to bear the reproach of Christ by speaking out against the sins that the world wants to normalize. You care more about honoring Jesus than being accepted by unbelieving friends. You don't get overly excited or discouraged by the ongoings of the world because you know the God who's sovereign over it all. So we're talking about how to church. It begins with your surrender to Christ and continues with the transformation of your life. You divorce yourself from worldly living. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. But there's a third part to that statement. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? Your mind. Paul addresses that back in Romans chapter 12 as well. Look at the rest of verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good 
and acceptable and perfect. To be transformed. It's from the word that we get our English word metamorphosis from. Be changed, be transformed. But notice it's a passive verb here. You and I aren't transforming our own minds. We are being transformed. By what? By the work of Jesus Christ and the spirit within us. As we are regenerated, as we are made new, we receive a a new mind, a new mindset, a new way of thinking, which is what's being transformed here. Becoming a Christian is a total takeover of all of our faculties, including the way that we think about and process things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and also with all your minds. Our final point this evening is this, adopt the mind of Christ. Adopt the mind of Christ. Be all in in following Jesus. Divorce yourself from worldly living. And now finally, adopt the mind of Christ. Contrary to the video that played beforehand, when you go to Texas and experience real barbecue, right? (laughs) See, before you go to Texas, your mind is darkened in the understanding of what is good barbecue. Before you go to Texas, you are are a child of, of wrath that is embodied by the pit of hell that is Lucille's, okay? And you are walking in darkness. You, your eyes have been blinded by the God of this world who is the president and owner of Lucille's. I don't know who that is, actually. That's, that's too far. He's, he may be a nice guy, right? That's too far. He just doesn't make good food. Anyways, but once you go to Texas and you experience real Texas barbecue, can I get an amen from anybody out there? Amen. Thank you. If you're wondering, talk to them afterwards. They know. Once you go and you experience real barbecue, your mind changes. And you come back, and what you once thought was good, you now know is just pure evil. That's absurd. And yet, at the same time, that's what we're talking about a little bit with Christianity. To an infinite degree, though. Y'all, the things that you once thought were good we're okay, we're lovely, pure, right, because the world said they were. Now in Christ, as your mind is transformed to now begin to have the mind of Christ, you look at them with new eyes and you see them for what they are. You see that these things that the world calls good are really what is evil. They're the things that put Christ on the cross. And these pleasures that the world holds out to you and says, this will satisfy you. You look at those pleasures now anew and you say, you know what? I, I now know that that's not going to satisfy me because God has opened my eyes to the vanity of this life and the vanity of this world. And I know that what's better is to choose Jesus and the pleasures forevermore that are at his right hand. So your mind begins to change and to be transformed Though I alluded to it in jest, 2 Corinthians 4.4 does say this. It says the problem in this world with those that are not in Christ is not a problem of intellect. There are very brilliant minds that don't love Jesus out there. It's not a problem of the intellect. See, it's it's a problem of the will. It's a problem of a a spiritual blindness. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says this. In their case, the case of the unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. See, they have a mind problem. They have a, a thinking problem. The way that they understand the world is, is, is not enough to get them into understanding and believing the gospel. Why? Because their mind is blinded by the enemy. And they need to have a mind that is transformed to be able to see Jesus and their need for Jesus. Ephesians 2, 3, again, uh, among them, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Uh, that's who we were. We were carrying out the desires of what? The body and the, the mind, the fallen mind. And then up on the screen here, Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, Paul says, that's not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you heard about him and that you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your what? Of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Yes, it's a, a passive event. Be transformed, but it doesn't mean that you don't have a, a role to play here. See, this is talking about the process of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus. And that's a process that's the rest of our lives. That's why point one is a, a repetitive daily thing where we are offering ourselves wholly over to the Lord. And we will until he kills us or calls us home. And we get to go and be with him. It's a reprogramming of our minds and the way that we think. And that's done by the Spirit's work within us. That's why it's a passive thing and yet it's active because we can quench the Spirit within us. We can sear our consciences. So let me ask you students, are you availing yourself of that which will transform you? The word of God is so powerful. And yet we think that, man, my life is so busy. I'm good if I get it a couple days a week. Y'all, I'm not trying to be legalistic and say, read the Bible more. But man, will you please read the Bible more? This is what transforms our minds. This is what renews us. This is what guides us. This is what the Spirit uses to apply in our life. This is the sword with which we do battle day in and day out against the spiritual forces at work in this present darkness. And if you don't think you're on the enemy's hit list, you've got another thing coming. You are. Are you putting yourself in the way of the word of God? What is your intake on a regular basis? How much TV are you taking in? Podcasts are you taking in? Taylor Swift are you taking in? Not even Taylor Swift, right? Somebody else that you like, Coldplay, whoever you like, whatever it is out there. The Biebs, right? Justin Bieber. <laughs> what in the background? Yeah. How much of the, the, the things that are going to see you transformed into Christ are you taking in? If you consider the wealth of that material that is at your fingertips, unlike at any other time in, in human history, the fact that on, on these things that you have podcasts after podcast after podcast that you can listen to. You say, well, my commute's only 10 minutes. Great, listen 10 minutes at a time. 
and work your way through and fill your mind with things that are actually going to transform your thinking and your mind. How about Philippians 4.8? I don't know about any of you guys out there, but anybody out there struggling with anxiety these days? Anybody? Crickets? I'm anxious about answering that question, so I'm not even going to try. Don't even ask me if I'm anxious because that just gives me the hot flashes and the sweats right now, and I just can't, I can't even, can't even adult when you ask me about being anxious. Philippians 4.8, yes, it's about 6 and 7, which is about our prayer life, but, but y'all, it's, it's about more than that too, because it's, it's also about what we think about. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, Whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Y'all, are you thinking about those things? right there if you want the list. Adopting the mind of Christ. Go back to Romans 12. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, this is God's game plan for us to be able to navigate this world that we live in. To be all in with Christ. To divorce ourselves from worldly living. To adopt the mindset of Christ so that then we will be equipped and ready to navigate the world that the Lord brings across our paths. You can be in the church for decades and not really a part of the church. To be a part of Christ's church is a high calling. It's not a meritorious calling. What I mean by that is it's not something that you earn. Because to be a part of Christ's church begins with being saved. It begins with being in Christ. And that's not anything that any of us earn. And that's part of the, the, the opening call there, to be all in with Christ. That begins with faith and repentance at the outset, to say, I want to be even just in Christ. Because I recognize that I need Christ. So if you guys haven't done that, then nothing else I've preached on tonight will make any sense or do you any good because the only way any of this is possible is if first you are in Christ and if Christ has made you a new creation. That's the entry point into Christ's church. And then, yeah, it changes everything, y'all. It changes everything. And you go, man, Pastor PJ, I, yeah, okay, whoa, man, but I just... I. 
yeah, I have some things I need to divorce myself from in this world. Me too. Let's get after it. I'm not telling you you're going to be sinless this side of eternity. You're not. I'm not either. But praise God, give thanks to the Lord that you've got the spirit dwelling within you and that he's going to convict you over sin. And when he convicts you over sin, that he's going to empower you to put that sin off and out of your life so that you can be a little bit more like Jesus tomorrow than you were today. And the cool thing is, as we get to do that together, like y'all, if we will lean into this whole organism called the church here, we'll realize the, the gift that it is. It's not a social club. It's not a frat or a sorority. This is a family of people that love each other. And the reality is some of you are sitting next to people that you are going to spend eternity with when you have blood relatives that you won't. And so that's what we're going to talk about next time. We're together next week. We're going to talk about what it looks like to be part of Christ's church. Means, man, not only as Jesus said back in Matthew 22, hey, you want to know what the great commandment is? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Full devotion like we've been talking about tonight. He says, and let me throw in number two just for, uh, for free for you. And that is what? Love your neighbor, what? As, your, as yourself. That's where we're going next week to talk about what that should look like for us as we are part of Christ's church. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for Christ, grateful for the church, grateful for our standing, our identity as those who have been brought from darkness and into light. And God, we pray that we would live that way, that every single day that we would surrender ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. God, that we would give up trying to impress or trying to earn anything, but that we would live lives that are lives of, of devotion to you. God, I pray that the world would, would notice a difference in us and would want what they see that we have because of Christ and because of our connection to this place, this church that we get to call a family. God, I pray for anyone here who is self-deceived into thinking that they're in the church when really they're just in the church building. God, I pray that you would be kind to them to open their eyes to their need for salvation. Because to this point, they've been blinded by the enemy. But God, I, I pray that you would even tonight be gracious to open their eyes so that they might truly, for the first time, step into the church in the sense of really, truly being a part of Christ's church and all that that entails. God, these things we were talking about tonight are, are high calls, big challenges, hard things, and it's only getting harder in our world to live this out. And so we need, we need your spirit, God. I pray that your spirit would carry a megaphone and speak louder than our flesh on a daily basis. Lord, daily conform us more and more to the image of Christ, we pray until you bring us home to be like him, for we will see him, for we will be with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.